0: Chapter twenty two, part four of Volume two of A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume two of A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter twenty two, The Hundred Years' War. Charles V, part four. It was at Rheims, during the ceremony of his coronation, that Charles V heard of his two officers' success. The war thus begun against the king of Navarre was hotly prosecuted on both sides. Charles the Bad hastily collected his forces, gascons Normans, and English, and put them under the command of a john de Grailly, called the captal of Buc, an officer of renown. Du Guesclin recruited in Normandy, Picardy, and Brittany and amongst the band of warriors which were now roaming all over France. The plan of the capital of Bouc was to go and disturb the festivities at Rheims, but at Cockerel, on the banks of the eure two leagues from Evro, he met the troops of du Gousse-Clan, and the two armies, pretty nearly equal in number, halted in view of one another. Du Gousse-Clan held council, and said to his comrades-in-arms, "'Sirs, we know that in front of us we have in the capital "'as gallant a knight as can be found to-day on all the earth. "'So long as he shall be on the spot, he will do us great hurt. "'Set we then a horseback thirty of ours, "'the most skilful and the boldest. "'They shall give heed to nothing but to make straight towards the capital, "'break through the press, and get right up to him. "'Then they shall take him, pin him, carry him off amongst them, "'and lead him away some whither in safety.' without waiting for the end of the battle. If he can be taken and kept in such way, the day will be ours, so astounded will his men be at his capture. Battle ensued at all points, May 16, 1364, and whilst it led to various encounters, with various results, the picked thirty, well mounted on the flower of steeds, says Froissart, and with no thought but for their enterprise, came all compact together to where was the captal, who was fighting right valiantly with his axe, and was dealing blows so mighty that none durst come nigh him. But the thirty broke through the press by dint of their horses, made right up to him, halted hard by him, took him, and shut him in amongst them by force. Then they voided the place, and bare him away in that state, whilst his men, who were like to mad, shouted, A rescue for the captal! a rescue! But naught could avail them or help them, and the captal was carried off and placed in safety." In this bustle and turmoil, whilst the Navarrese and English were trying to follow the track of the captal, whom they saw being taken off before their eyes, some French agreed with hearty good will to bear down on the captal's banner, which was in a thicket, and whereof the Navarrese made their own standard. Thereupon there was a great tumult and fighting there, for the banner was well guarded, and by good men, but at last it was seized, won, torn, and cast to the ground. The French were masters of the battlefield. Sir Bertrand and his Bretons acquitted themselves loyally, and ever kept themselves well together, giving aid one to another, but it cost them dear in men. Charles was highly delighted, and after the victory, resolutely discharged on his kingly part, rewarding and also punishing. Duguesclin was made Marshal of Normandy, and received as a gift the Countship of Longueville, confiscated from the King of Navarre. Certain Frenchmen who had become the confidants of the King of Navarre were executed, and Charles V ordered his generals to no longer show any mercy for the future to subjects of the kingdom who were found in the enemy's rank. The war against Charles the Bad continued. Charles V, encouraged by his successes, determined to take part likewise in that which was still going on between the two claimants to the Duchy of Brittany, Charles of Blois and John of Montfort. Du guesclin was sent to support Charles of Blois, Whereat he was greatly rejoiced, says Froissart, for he had always held the said Lord Charles for his rightful lord. The Count and Countess of Blois received him right joyously and pleasantly, and the best part of the barons of Brittany likewise had Lord Charles of Blois in regard and affection. Duguesclin entered at once on the campaign, and marched upon Aure, which was being besieged by the Count of Montfort. But there he was destined to encounter the most formidable of his adversaries, John of Montfort had claimed the support of his patron, the King of England, and John Chandos, the most famous of the English commanders, had applied to the Prince of Wales to know what he was to do. You may go full well, the Prince had answered, since the French are going for the Count of Blois, I give you good leave. Chandos, delighted, set hastily to work recruiting. Only a few Aquitanians decided to join him, for they were beginning to be disgusted with English rule, and the French national spirit was developing itself throughout Gascony, even in the Prince of Wales's immediate circle. Chandos recruited scarcely any but English or Bretons, and when, to the great joy of the Count of Montfort, he arrived before Auray, he brought, says Froissart, full sixteen hundred fighting men, knights and squires, English and Breton, and about eight or nine hundred archers. Du Guesclin's troops were pretty nearly equal in number, and not less brave, but less well-disciplined, and probably also less ably commanded. The battle took place on the 29th of September, 1364, before Oray. The attendant circumstances, and the result, have already been recounted in the 20th chapter of this history. Charles of Blois was killed, and du Gousclin was made prisoner. The cause of John of Montfort was clearly won, and he, on taking possession of the Duchy of Brittany, asked nothing better than to acknowledge himself vassal of the King of France, and swear fidelity to him. Charles V had too much judgment not to foresee that, even after a defeat, a peace which gave a lawful and definite solution to the question of Brittany, rendered his relations and means of influence with this important province much more to be depended upon than any success which a prolonged war might promise him. Accordingly, he made peace at Guerande on the 11th of April, 1365, after having disputed the conditions inch by inch, and some weeks previously, on the 6th of March, at the direct instance of the king of Navarre, who since the battle of Gaucherelle had felt himself in peril, Charles V had likewise put an end to his open struggle against his perfidious neighbor, of whom he certainly did not cease to be mistrustful. Being thus delivered from every external war and declared enemy, the wise king of France was at liberty to devote himself to the re-establishment of internal peace, and of order throughout his kingdom, which was in the most pressing need thereof. We have, no doubt, even in our own day, cruel experience of the disorders and evils of war. But we can form, one would say, but a very incomplete idea of what they were in the fourteenth century, without any of those humane administrative measures, still so ineffectual, provisionings, hospitals, ambulances, barracks, and encampments, which are taken in the present day to prevent or repair them. The Recueil des Ordonnances des Lois de France is full of safeguards granted by Charles V to monasteries and hospices and communes, which implored his protection, that they might have a little less to suffer than the country in general. We will borrow from the best informed and the most intelligent of the contemporary chroniclers, the Continuer of William of Nangis, a picture of those sufferings and causes of them. There was not, he says, in Anjou, in Touraine, and Busse, near Orléans, and up to the approaches of Paris, any corner of the country which was free from plunderers and robbers. They were so numerous everywhere, either in little forts occupied by them or in the villages and the country places, that peasants and tradesfolk could not travel but at great expense and great peril. The very guards told off to defend cultivators and travellers took part most shamefully in harassing and despoiling them. It was the same in Burgundy and the neighbouring countries some knights who called themselves friends of the king and of the king's majesty, and whose names I am not minded to set down here, kept in their service brigands who were quite as bad. What is far more strange is that when those folks went into the cities, Paris or elsewhere, everybody knew them and pointed them out, but none durst lay a hand upon them. I saw one night at Paris, in the suburb of Saint-Germain-des-Pres, while the people were sleeping, some brigands who were abiding with their chieftains in the city, attempting to sack certain hospices. They were arrested and imprisoned in the Châtelet, but before long they were got off, declared innocent, and set at liberty without undergoing the least punishment, a great encouragement for them, and their like, to go still farther. When the king gave Bertrand de guesclin the Countship of Longueville, in the diocese of Rouen, which had belonged to Philip, brother of the king of Navarre, de Gousclin promised the king that he would drive out by force of arms all the plunderers and robbers, those enemies of the kingdom. But he did nothing of the sort. Nay, the Bretons, even of de Gousclin, on returning from Rouen, pillaged and stole in the villages they found there, garments, horses, sheep, oxen, and beasts of burden and of tillage. Charles V was not, as Louis Twelfth and Henry IV were, of a disposition full of affection, and sympathetically inclined towards his people but he was a practical man, who in his closet and in the library growing up about him, took thought for the interests of his kingdom as well as for his own. He had at heart the public good, and lawlessness was an abomination to him. He had just purchased, at a ransom of a hundred thousand francs, the liberty of Bertrand de Gousclin, who had remained a prisoner in the hands of John Chandos after the Battle of R.A., an idea occurred to him that the valiant Breton might be of use to him in extricating France from the deplorable condition to which she had been reduced, by the bands of plunderers roaming everywhere over her soil. We find in the chronicle in verse of Bertrand Gousclin, by Couvellier, a troubadour of the fourteenth century, a detailed account of the king's perplexities on this subject, and of the measures he took to apply a remedy. We cannot regard this account as strictly historical, but it is a picture vivid and morally true, of events and men as they were understood and conceived to be by a contemporary, a mediocre poet, but a spirited narrator. We will reproduce the principal features, modifying the language to make it more easily intelligible, but without altering the fundamental character. There were so many folk who went about pillaging the country of France that the king was sad and doleful at heart. He summoned his council, and said to them, What shall we do with this multitude of thieves who go about destroying our people? If I send against them my valiant baronage, I lose my noble barons, and then I shall never more have any joy of my life. If any could lead these folk into Spain against the miscreant and tyrant Pedro, who put our sister to death, I would like it well, whatever it might cost me. Bertrand de Guesclin gave ear to the king, and, Sir King, said he, it is my heart's desire to cross over the seas and go fight the heathen with the edge of the sword. But if I could come nigh this folk which both anger you, I would deliver the kingdom from them. "'I should like it well,' said the king. "'Say no more,' said Bertrand to him. "'I will learn their pleasure. Give it no further thought.' Bertrand de Guesclin summoned his herald, and said to him, "'Go thou to the grand company, and have all the captains assembled.' Thou wilt go and demand for me a safe conduct, for I have a great desire to parley with them. The herald mounted his horse, and went a-seeking these folk towards cherland sur Laon. They were seated together at dinner, and were drinking good wine from the cask they had pierced. "'Sirs,' said the herald, "'the blessing of Jesus be on you. Bertrand de Gusclin prayeth you to let him parley with all in company.' "'By my faith, gentle herald,' said Hugh de Cavorley, who was master of the English, I will readily see Bertrand here, and will give him good wine. I can well give it him in sooth, I do assure you, for it cost me nothing. Then the herald departed and returned to his lord, and told the news of this company. So away rode Bertrand and halted not, and he rode so far that he came to the grand company, and then did greet them. God keep, said he, the companions I see yonder. Then they bowed down, each abased himself. I vow to God, said Bertrand. Whosoever will be pleased to believe me, I will make you all rich. And they answered, Right welcome here, sir, we will do all whatsoever is your pleasure. Sirs, said Bertrand, be pleased to listen to me, wherefore I am come I will tell unto you. I come by order of the king in whose keeping is France, and who would be right glad to save his people, that should you come with me, whither I should be glad to go into good company, I fain would bring ye. If we would all of us look into our hearts, we might full truly consider that we have done enough to damn our souls. Think we but how we have dealt with life, outraged ladies and burned houses, slain men, children, and everybody set to ransom, how we have eaten up cows, oxen, and sheep, drunk good wines, and done worse than robbers do. Let us do honor to God and forsake the devils. Ask if it may please you all the companions, all the knights, and all the barons, if you be of accord, we will go to the king, and I will have the gold got ready which we do promise you, I would fain get together all my friends to make the journey we so strongly desire. Du Guesclin then explained in broad terms which left the choice to the grand company what his journey was which was so much desired. He spoke of the king of Cyprus, of the Saracens of Granada, of the Pope of Avignon, and especially of Spain and the king of Castile, Pedro the Cruel, scoundrel murderer of his wife, Blanche of Bourbon, on whom, above all, de Guzclan wished to draw down the wrath of his hearers. In Spain, he said to them, we might largely profit, for the country is a good one for leading a good life, and there are good wines which are neat and clear. Nearly all present, whereof were twenty-five famous captains, confirmed what was said by Bertrand. Sirs, he said to them at last, listen to me. I will go my way and speak to the king of the Franks, I will get for you those two hundred thousand francs. You shall come and dine with me at Paris, according to my desire, when the time shall have come for it, and you shall see the king, who will be rejoiced thereat. We will have no evil suspicion in anything, for I never was inclined to treason, and never shall be as long as I live. Then said the valiant knights and esquires to him, Never was more valiant man seen on earth, and in you we have more belief and faith than in all the prelates and great clerics who dwell at Avignon or in France. When du Guesclin returned to Paris, Sir, said he to the king, I have accomplished your wish. I will put out of your kingdom all the worst folk of this grand company, and I will work it so that everything shall be saved. Bertrand, said the king to him, may the Holy Trinity be pleased to have you in their keeping, and may I see you a long while in joy and health. Noble king, said Bertrand, the captains have a very great desire to come to Paris, your good city. I am heartily willing, said the king. If they come, let them assemble at the temple. Elsewhere there is too much people and too much abundance. There might be too much alarm. Since they have reconciled themselves to us, I would have naught but friendship with them. The poet concludes the negotiation thus. At the bidding of Bertrand, when he understood the pleasure of the noble king of France all the captains came to Paris in perfect safety. They were conducted straight to the temple. There they were feasted and dined nobly, and received many a gift, and all was sealed. Matters went, at the outset at least, as du Guesclin had promised to the king on one side, and on the other to the captains of the grand company. There was, in point of fact, a civil war raging in Spain between Don Pedro the Cruel, king of Castile, and his natural brother, Henry of Transtomar, and that was the theatre on which du guesclin had first proposed to launch the vagabond army which he desired to get out of France. It does not appear, however, that at their departure from Burgundy at the end of November, thirteen sixty five, this army and its chiefs had in this respect any well-considered resolution, or any well-defined aim in their movements. They made first for Avignon, and Pope Urban V, on hearing of their approach, was somewhat disquieted, and sent to them one of his cardinals to ask them what was their will. If we may believe the poet-chronicler, Cuvelier, the mission was anything but pleasing to the cardinal, who said to one of his confidants, I am grieved to be set to this business, for I am sent to a pack of man who have not an hour's, nay, not even a half-hour's conscience. The captains replied that they were going to fight the heathen, either in Cyprus or in the kingdom of Granada, and that they demanded of the Pope absolution of their sins and two hundred thousand livres, which de Guesclin had promised to them at his name. THE POPE CRIED OUT AGAINST THIS. HERE, SAID HE, AT AVIGNON, WE HAVE MONEY GIVEN US FOR ABSOLUTION, AND WE MUST GIVE IT GRATIS TO YONDER FOLKS, AND GIVE THEM MONEY ALSO. IT IS QUITE AGAINST REASON. DU guesclin INSISTED. KNOW YOU, SAID HE TO THE CARDINAL, THAT THERE ARE IN THIS ARMY MANY FOLKS WHO CARE NOT A whit FOR ABSOLUTION, AND WHO WOULD MUCH RATHER HAVE MONEY. WE ARE MAKING THEM PROPER MEN IN SPITE OF THEMSELVES, AND ARE LEADING THEM ABROAD THAT THEY MAY DO NO MISCHIEF TO CHRISTIANS. Tell that to the Pope, for else we could not take them away. The Pope yielded, and gave them the two hundred thousand livres. He obtained the money by levies upon the population of Avignon. They, no doubt, complained loudly, for the chiefs of the grand company were informed thereof, and Du Guesclin said, By the faith that I owe to the Holy Trinity, I will not take a denier of that which these poor folks have given. Let the Pope and the clerics give us of their own, We desire that all, they, who have paid the tax, do recover their money without losing a doit, and, according to contemporary chroniclers, the vagabond army did not withdraw until they had obtained this satisfaction. The piety of the Middle Ages, though sincere, was often less disinterested and more rough than is commonly represented. End of chapter 22, part 4